Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. A couple of things I, I forgot to tell Keith. Well, one, uh, at four o'clock this afternoon is the Evergreen service for those, for anyone who wants to come along and, and sing for the residents there. It's, uh, it's a real blessing to do that. And so that's four until 4.30 at Evergreen uh, at Lionsgate Hospital. Also just want to say thank you to the number of people who came here yesterday to do some work around the building. Uh, clean up and change door stops and fix broken doors and change light bulbs and all of the kinds of things. Uh, greatly appreciated. When I walked up here early this morning, no, you can, they can't reach those ones. Richard's looking to see why those aren't. Uh, yeah, that requires a longer arm than anybody had. Um, so, uh, uh, but I came here early and walked around the building and just saw the we- all the weeding that was done, gardening, and and uh, really, really grateful. So thanks to everyone who helped out and to Murray for organizing that. It, it means a lot to us. So, Well, I recently, it seems like a few hours ago, really, maybe still in the jet lag, jet lag kind of fog, uh, arrived back from England, from London. And uh, I was at a conference there in London, put on by Holy Trinity Brompton, a church that many of you would know and have heard about. That's where the Alpha Course originated. And so it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful time. You don't need to worry. You guys didn't pay for it. Like, uh, how did that, that, that was done another way. Um, I didn't either, but anyway. Um, and it really was a fantastic time. Uh, before that, I was in Waterloo with James Cop. That was also good, um, but London was even nicer than Waterloo, Ontario. Um, uh, no, there wasn't as much of a manure smell, though London has its own unique smells too. But this was a big conference, and there's so much that, that you take in at something like that over the period of the days of the conference and this wide range of speakers and content and some of my favorite people that I've learned from in my Christian life, Jean Vanier. Some of you would know Jean Vanier, the founder of L'Arche Community. His dad was the governor general of Canada. He's a, he's a spiritual uh, giant in my mind, though he's so gentle and humble um, and speaker after speaker, I would leave just thinking, I can't believe I got to participate in this and, and be part of this, uh, to take it in. On the first day, uh, somebody that I didn't know and hadn't heard of, uh, Cardinal Louis Tagle from the Philippines. And Cardinal Tagle is the is an archbishop there, and, and he's a cardinal in the Catholic Church. That was another thing that was great about this conference, the breadth of denominations that were part of this. And... So uh, Cardinal Tegel is, is the Archbishop in the Philippines and a Cardinal in the Catholic Church. And he was such a beautiful and gentle and funny man. Just a smile on his face, a humility about him and a grace and a spiritual wisdom. 
He is uh, overseeing in the Philippines 88 million Catholics. Um, and he does things like goes and speaks at the World Economic Forum. He's invited by world leaders, prime ministers and presidents and economic ministers and the top business leaders in the world. And he shows up there to speak on, you know, inclusion in the economy. So how to not forget the poor as wealth gets generated in our world. He says, uh, it's my little journal from the thing. Um, Nicky Gumbel asked him, what, uh, what do you say to those people when, when you go to something like that? And he says, I asked them, what governs you? And I assume he said that they've invited me because they think I have something to say. He asked them, business leaders and others, are the, who have this desire, apparently, to have the economy bless more than just you know, one segment of the population. So he's asked questions like, are the poor present in your vision statement? Because if they're not, then you have just another another goal uh, and you don't, you know, it's maybe a, a wish more than anything else. And he says, I, I try to invite them to a personal encounter to touch the hand of a poor person, to, to remind them to not be so distant. It was just beautiful. He was always laughing, uh, though he has tremendous responsibility on his shoulders. He just was one of these people that is always kind of smiling and laughing. And Nicky Gumbel asked him about that. Why do you laugh and smile so much? And the whole, it was in Royal Albert Hall, which is pretty nice too. And the whole place is just, you can just feel this kind of presence of this man. And uh, Nikki said to him, why, why can you laugh so much? He said, because I'm not the savior of the world. He said, I take myself lightly. That's a profession of faith. You get that? And then he said, in the Philippines, we smile a lot and we laugh a lot because we cry a lot. And then he was moved to tears when he said this, and then Nicky Gumbel was moved to tears, and the Holy Spirit was really present. He asked him about being a leader of so many people. He said, what's the, what's the hardest part of your job? And the cardinal said, the hardest part is, who am I to do a job like this? I'm always asking God, why me? And he says, and people bring me their burdens and their problems, and I feel that as a leader to find as the world would see it, that I'm supposed to solve their problems. And then I realize in the Holy Spirit that they're not problems, they're dilemmas. And dilemmas don't have solutions. When you're before a dilemma, you don't seek a solution. You seek meaning. These beautiful kinds of words. The next speaker was supposed to be the MP in England who was responsible for what they call this is how everything British is, right? It all sounds so proper. Her Majesty's Prisons. Um, and so this MP was supposed to speak, and she was there in the hall, but then they told us that she was not allowed to speak because there's an election campaign going on there right now, and I guess Theresa May, the daughter of a vicar, had determined uh, that uh, it was a little bit too political or something, so though the woman was sitting there, um, they said, you can't speak. So the conference had to kind of scramble. I mean, and this is world-class stuff, Right. They had to scramble to come up with, with something else to fill that time. So they interviewed a few students from one of their leadership schools. This is right after this archbishop. And a young woman was talking about her ministry. This, to me, just the breadth of this after I heard this archbishop and then this. She said, here's my ministry. I won't try to do her British accent, though it was strong and severe. She'd be in her early 20s, and she said she was going to Oxford. She's going to Oxford. And she said, I was sitting at Oxford, and I thought, what am I doing with my life? I would say, well, you're going to Oxford. You're probably okay. And so she said, so I, I, I think she stopped that or something. And she said, and then I started a ministry, and here's what my ministry is. I go into toilets. That just means bathrooms. 
in London. It doesn't mean the actual. I go into bathrooms in nightclubs late at night with a few people that are in this ministry with me. And when, the, when girls come into the bathroom, we throw glitter on them and say, you shine in the eyes of God. So I just, I, I said to the guy beside me, he was a, a hedge fund manager in London, young guy. I said, did she say her ministry is throwing glitter at people? And he said, yeah, I think she did say that. And I went away thinking, wow, what a breadth we have in the Christian church. And I'm not going to, I mean, it's not what I would do. <laughs> Thanks be to God. But I would think in some ways the Lord has used that. We have in the Christian faith such a wide range of experiences, understandings of faith, perspectives of faith, expressions of worship. Going to this church here, some people would come here and say, how can you call that church? Because it needs to be either more rocking or way less so. Or the, the experience is huge. The understanding of the scriptures is huge. It's why, and I obviously determined to look at this gospel before going away, but it reminded me why that's a good thing to do, to look at the gospel of John. Because the gospel of John is going to help us to focus some of our ideas, and though we can keep that, that breadth wide, we'll also kind of put some banks on the river. My intention early on couple months ago when determined to look at the Gospel of John was to look at kind of the, the sweep of the whole book. But we're going to spend a number of weeks just in the first chapter. Because this is one of those seminal parts of Christian faith and doctrine that if you can understand what John is presenting in this first chapter of this Gospel, then you'll get a lot of things right. And then the things that aren't as important you can let go. The Gospel of John, the first chapter... You could say this is kind of in style in various ways throughout Christian history. It comes and goes. And depending on the gathering of people you're with, you may hear something like, well, I don't care about theology. You know, theology is for those academics. But the truth is, there is absolutely nobody in this world, in this Christian faith, that doesn't have a theology. Your theology is simply your understanding of God. And a lot of your theology is probably good and right and helpful. And some of it, mine as well, is wrong. And some of the things you think about God and some of the ways you do things have been been shaped by things that aren't theologically, you know, don't really line up with Scripture. We all have a theology. And John helps us to focus what our theology should be. And I'm going to call it, this is our, something like our series title, a theology of hope. A gospel of hope. We are to have a hopeful faith. Our Christian faith should give us hope for the world, not despair. Our primary way of seeing the world, and this is something that we, we could struggle with in any religious circle, should not be good and bad and right and wrong. It should be Christ over all creation. And what that means. Hope. So I'll give you a little bit to start to kind of get you thinking along these theological terms in your own life. So what do you think about good and evil? God and the devil. And there's all kinds of ways that you can understand God and the devil. But this beginning of the book of John is going to clarify some things for you, even in terms of God and the devil. Though the devil's not mentioned, darkness is in this beginning part of John. What do you believe on the matter? 
What most people believe, many people who believe in God at all, and believe in evil, believe that evil is, exists, what most people believe, it's kind of a default system, and it makes sense. If you're a child, you would maybe think this way, and as you're socialized in a religious setting, sometimes this can be perpetrated. And the, the idea would be that God and the devil are somehow both kind of divinities. You know, they're, they're more than human. Certainly God is, and then they kind of battle it out. Good and evil battle it out. They battle it out in the world. They battle it out in your soul, right? And so you think, well, now the devil is going to get me. Oh, no, but God comes in and he battles this out. And maybe you have the idea that God is stronger than the devil, but in a way you have this light and dark image. And God is that divinity that is light, and the devil is something like a divinity that is dark or evil. This early part of the Gospel of John will tell you that that thinking is wrong. Here's how. Here's how I know it's wrong. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not in the beginning there was God and the devil, good and evil. Did you hear that? Now this should change the way you think, the way you pray, the way you think about evil, good and bad, and right and wrong in the world. The stress in verse 1, what is being spoken about is the Word, and it's clear in this Gospel that the Word, capital W, is Jesus Christ Himself. In the beginning was the Word, the living Word, Jesus Christ, above and before history. The Word exists before the world, and as Keith read to us, nothing was made without Him, nothing that was made was made without Him. See that stress there? In the beginning was the Word. If you believe this, then that will impact what you think about evil. Evil is not an equal adversary to God. And evil is not of the same nature of God as God. God is creator and sustainer and redeemer, can make things, right? Can breathe life. The devil can only do one thing. Lie. But if you think that, that kind of you have this idea, right? This The devil is only a liar and does not exist as God exists. As Jesus does in the Holy Spirit. We'll get back to it in another sermon in this series. But a good analogy that might help you with this is to think of evil or the devil as a shadow. When you're walking on a sunny day like this and you see your shadow, and I, asked you, I could ask you, is your shadow real? And what would you say? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's right there. Can your shadow have an impact on things? Actually, it can. Shade, right? But it's not real like you are. It only exists in relationship to something else. Jesus was in the beginning before all things. Augustine wrote much on this gospel when he was alive. He's a father of the Christian church and the theology of the Christian church. And when Augustine was around hundreds and hundreds of years ago, one of the battles in his culture was, and in the Christian church was this philosophy, and it's nice to learn these big words, called Manichaeism. Oh, I forgot to put the thing on. Do we want to put it on? I've got some uh, slides. Is it up there? Oh, no. You know what? It's just not back there. Sorry. Okay, I'm going to get... There we go. It's like a ride. 
Augustine wrote much on good and evil, and when he was around, there was this uh, philosophy within the Christian church. It just means way of thinking. By the way, you all have philosophies too. And a, a, a philosophy that infiltrated the Christian church was took up the name Manichaeism. But all that Manichaeism was, was that there's light and dark and they're battling it out and they're kind of equal. And you say, well, I don't care about that and who cares about philosophy and I don't know what you're talking about. You do because you've seen Star Wars. Star Wars is, is a modern incarnation of Manichaeistic thinking. The force, the light side and the dark side. That's all that is. And Augustine, when he became a Christian, said, that's not Christian thinking. And needed to battle this. And a chief way that he did that was use this gospel. In the beginning was the word, before all things. Three things that John is going to tell us about this in this introduction to the gospel that that will guide us. Firstly, the gospel is good news. The gospel takes our way of seeing the world, good and bad and right and wrong, and our assumptions. And you do this. You look at the world, and I know you do, because you turn on the news and you shake your head at other people. What's wrong with this world? And sometimes it's so easy to be governed by that way of thinking. Even in the Christian church, sometimes particularly in the Christian church, because we can do this thing where we say things used to be better. Whether things used to be better or not is in many ways uninteresting. The question is, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is before all things, and in him all things will be fulfilled? So whether things used to be better or not isn't really that interesting of a thought. So this gospel is good news, and the good news is portrayed in this early part by saying, a light shines. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. The light shines. Light shines for everyone. We are not to be guided as Christians by thinking about who is good and who is bad. Did you know that? That's religious thinking that comes from some pagan understanding in some ways and infiltrates like Manichaeism did in Augustine's time. If you're guided by thinking, firstly, who is good and who is bad, then you'll protect yourself, close yourself off, and come up with all kinds of, depending on whatever religious circle you're in, all kinds of codes and rules as to what's acceptable and what's not. What John says is, in the beginning was the word. Logos is the Greek word, L-O-G-O-S, that he uses. It's the same word that other religions at that same time used to describe some of their deities. But their deities, small g gods, could be thought of more as concepts and understanding, certain parts of God. John is adopting the language even of the time, and he is saying this bold statement. Jesus Christ is the Word. The living Word. Not a concept, not a principle, not a moral code. The Word is a person, Jesus Christ our Lord. And not to give away the ending of this passage, this section, the introduction to the Gospel of John, but those of you who've heard this over and over know what's coming. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's good news. In Him, verse 4, in Him was life. And you should capitalize that in your thinking. Big L, big I, big F, big E. In Him was life. Anything that's life is in Him. And that life was the light of all humanity. And again, John is picking up terms there that other religions would have used at the time. Light and life. But those would be only refer to concepts, ideas. Right now I feel really alive. Or I can see the light, right? 
John is taking these terms and saying, Jesus Christ, is life is in him and he is the light of all humanity. We are reminded then, early in this book, that if you're looking for life somewhere else, then you're doing something that is less than Christian. I'm not saying it's always bad. It's just not the foundational theology of the Christian faith. Your life as a Christian believer, and of course we would say this for the whole world, your life is found in Jesus Christ. Not in your failure or success. Not even in the blessings that he grants you. If you start to make those mistakes, then you throw yourself into all kinds of turmoil. Your life is found in him. Almost as bad is that you can begin to think that what Jesus does is arrange things for you. If I follow Jesus, then I will get this. This isn't what our faith is about, though we are deeply blessed in our faith. I might be happy for you when you describe blessings to me of the Christian life. I am happy for you, and I celebrate, and I say constantly, God is good all the time. But there's a difference between seeing blessings from God as gifts and somehow deriving the idea that what Jesus is about is blessing us. That's why we worship him. That's not why we worship him. We worship him because he is above all. Another way to think of this is Christian faith and death. How do we think about death differently as Christians than non-Christians? In Christian faith, you overcome death. Not by not dying. Right? You overcome death by being in him when you die. Do you see the difference? And if you had somebody who, who thought, well, as Christians, we're not supposed to die, you know, at a certain, you know, at this point or at this point. And in some ways, that's true, that the Lord will wipe away every tear and redeem these things. And, and disease and these kinds of things are not of the Lord. But if we start the idea that what, how Jesus overcomes death in our life is by assuring that we won't die and our loved ones won't die, well, it doesn't make any sense. Death is overcome by being in him. Death is not the ultimate threat. So he says, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, what does he say? I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. See the difference? Life is in him, and he is the light of all humanity. Secondly, in this book, the Gospel of John, that gospel, the good news, is revealed through a man. That doesn't seem like a big point, but it's important. John, the evangelist who writes this book, is a man, a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Why is this important? John is the one through whom this gospel of hope is revealed, but he is human. He is not himself the revelation. In other words, this gospel is told by John because John is enlightened. I recently came back from a trip um, to Nepal with a number of the youth. And don't you love when preachers get up and they just tell you all the places they've been? Right? I was in Switzerland the other day, and I'm kind of doing that this morning. I was in London, and I was in Nepal. Waterloo. You're not jealous of that last one. but. And in Nepal, we went trekking. We trekked for four days through the hills, and it was absolutely stunning and incredible and and difficult and 
we got to this place. Where did those pictures go? By the way, in terms of going from place to place, let me tell you, because some, some of you, um, in this world, we can have this idea that to really understand the important things in life, you have to travel. I, sometimes that can help, but you don't have to, honestly. You don't have to. If you want to know the things of God, the most important things of God, you need to do one thing. You need to ask God. And some people go all over the world. They go to every place, and they've never seen any place. The monastics, the way they used to put it, was they, they would say, stay in your cell. That just was the, stay in your cell. Your cell will teach you everything. If you don't know how to be attentive to God here, you won't learn it by going somewhere else. Anyway, I was recently in Nepal <laughs> and uh, trekking. And after four days, we got to this. We got to our highest point, and this picture isn't enough to convey the feeling. Uh, this is a more of a close-up of that same mountain. And I was standing looking at this. We were all in awe by it. If you take Whistler Peak and stand on the very peak of Whistler Mountain, some of you have been up there, past where the trees are. You stand on top of there, but then somebody hands you Grouse Mountain and they put that on top of Whistler, and then you climb on top of there. That's how high we were when this photo was taken and we were looking up. This is not that much shorter than Everest in the scheme of things. And so what do you think a pastor, someone who likes scripture, has in his mind as he looks up at that? Well, of course, the 121st Psalm, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And what's the answer to that question for the psalmist? My help comes from you, Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, my help doesn't come from the mountains. My help doesn't come from any created thing. The mountains can only pass on that which they receive. John the Evangelist, the same thing. But he is illumined to speak the truth of God. And in the Holy Spirit, you can be too. God is above the highest mountains. Here, John the Evangelist, who writes the Gospel, and John the Baptist, who the story opens with, they are mediators. They are illumined to show us the truth of God and the gospel of hope. John's statement is that before these mountains, before any created thing was what? The Word. The living Word. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? From you, Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. They're both illumined, John the Evangelist and John the Baptist, to reveal Jesus Christ to us in this life. John the Baptist, of course, John the Baptist, of course, we know, is illumined to reveal the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The, uh, the voice of one crying in the desert, right? John the Baptist. He's going to reveal Christ coming into this world. John the Evangelist is going to reveal Christ reigning over all the world and all of history. In the beginning was the Word. Illumined. And we need to listen and be enlivened to see. And then finally, I got these in the wrong order. I'm sorry for making you ride through all of this. So what are we to do about this? Well, when Augustine, Augustine was around and he was battling these um, unfortunate and 
and not helpful ways of thinking. He said what you need to do if you're seeking Christ or believing in Christ. And he had this simple formula. You need to lift up your heart. Lift up your heart to the living God. Trust. What defines your way of seeing the world and your way of living? Is it circumstance or is it understanding the word that was before all things? What does this mean? This means that our life on earth is not derived from the things of earth. In the beginning was the word and he is the light that shines in the darkness. We are addicted to our own perception of things, colored by the things of this earth. But our life is not in our circumstance. Our life is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when you see someone who knows this, whatever pain they're facing, whatever struggle, you have encountered life. You know that, right? Suffering and death. I mean, we've heard these things in our culture, in our world, that one of the things to do in light of suffering and death, what should we do then? And this is probably what most, you know, the the default way of thinking in our culture would be. What are you to do in our world in light of suffering and death? And the answer would be, get as much out of life while you're alive. Carpe diem. Remember? Seize the day. I remember that movie with Robin Williams as the teacher. Seize the day, boys. And he takes them and he shows them pictures of, you know, generations before boys that went to the school. What's, what do they all have in common, boys? They're all dead now. So seize the day. That's all you can do. That's what the world often teaches. That's not Christian thinking, by the way. Not at its heart. The other extreme is to pretend that we can overcome suffering and death on this earth. This can infiltrate Christian thinking. The promise, and it's not that helpful, that if you really trusted God, you wouldn't have suffering, death, and pain. This is a perversion of Christian faith. It it becomes popular um, over and over again in Christian teaching. It's actually quite popular in our city right now. The idea is that you can have victory. That's true in Christian faith. The question is, what does victory mean? You should always expect in faith physical health and material gain. I call this the gospel of no hope. Because the other side of it is that something's terribly wrong if you're facing these things. We worship this Savior, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as the bishop reminded me, the cardinal And all of us in that room. Jesus Christ is with those who are suffering. The gospel of no hope though. And the reason I call it no hope. Is it gets you to focus more on your circumstance. And identify the work of God with. Well God is working and alive if my circumstance changes. There's not a ton of hope in that. My hope. You just saying it is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. Lift up your heart beyond your circumstance. Lift up your heart. Why does Jesus Christ matter? Because he forgives us of our sins, of course. Because he blesses us in the Holy Spirit with power, of course. Because in Jesus Christ you don't have to suffer, well, that's not quite true all the time. This, all of this, even the sin stuff, can be us-centered. What John teaches us at the beginning of this gospel 
is that the center of Christian faith is Jesus Christ. And when you think about the future, this is a really, this should help you. When you think about the future, don't define your sense of the future by your future. What's going to happen to me tomorrow and the next day and the next day and ultimately? For Christians, the future is defined in Jesus Christ. That in him, the world will be redeemed. In him, history will come to its fullness and completion. Lift up your heart to Jesus Christ. We can be taught that Jesus Christ is an answer to a problem. And in some ways, that is not an unhelpful way of thinking. But that's not primarily who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ existed before the problem. In the beginning was the Word. So he can't exist simply as a solution. He's bigger than that. He's more than that. He exists before all things. In Revelation, we're told that he is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. Who wrote those words? John did. Wrote these words. I'll end with verse 5. The most hopeful, beautiful, and promising statement. One of the most hopeful in all of Christian scripture and should guide your way of thinking about the world. The light shines in the darkness, verse 5 says, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a faith of hope that we have. It is not a blind hope. It is not, you know, Louis Armstrong, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Though it's nice to see skies of blue and clouds of white. But there is darkness. But hear this, and be guided by this. The darkness has not and will not overcome the light. Now think about your circumstance. Now think about your problems. And understand that the future that you need to be interested in the most, this is hard for us because we're selfish by nature, is the future of Jesus Christ in this whole world. We can fear and protect and oppose and wall off and be mostly against things, but John, without explanation, gives this assertion. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so what am I to do? I am to lift up my heart and I can give you three ways of thinking about that. Lift up your heart in faith. Every one of you here can do this. For some, this would be like becoming a Christian for the first time, trusting in Jesus Christ. For many or most here probably, it's something that you do again to trust in, to declare your trust in Jesus Christ. So you this morning could say, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. I lift my heart to you. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Lift up your heart in light of your circumstance. Whatever it is that's bothering you, whatever it is that you can't solve, right? I'm not going to tell you that God's going to fix that thing as you want it fixed. I don't know. But I know this, if you lift up your heart to God in that circumstance, you will be blessed. And lift up your heart in terms of the future, the thing that you're afraid of often the most. I don't know what's going to happen in your future. You might face some difficult things. But I know the future is in the hands of our God in Jesus Christ. And it is nothing but bright. That's why are we, we're to be Christians of hope in this world. And to seek to help other people to see this as well. So I'm going to ask Bart to come up. And as a devotional thing, before we sing the last songs and close our service together, um, and before I come and pray, and then we'll take the offering after I pray, 
uh, maybe just play a little bit of um, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less again. And I invite you this time not necessarily to sing along or don't sing along, but just pray to God in this moment. What does it mean for me to lift up my heart to Christ? We'll give you just a couple of minutes to do that and I'll come up and pray. So you don't need to sing along, just listen and pray. Thank you.